one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That with me, Neil Delamere, and him, Dave Moore. We are proudly part of the ACAST network. One of us comes along and tells the other one something amazing that we should know, but that we didn't. We are on socials at Neil Delamere Comedy, at Dave Today FM, and also at Why Would You Tell Me That. Today is Dave's turn, but also... Oh, yeah. You, no, you're, be, start, you're starting off straight away pulling the rug out of me. I, I was ready to go, and then you went, but also. But what I, what I was going to say was, but also, you have the smooth selling voice. So plug our show, our live show. Ah, very good. You want me to do it in the smooth selling voice? <laughs> no, 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 no. They're not. No. You, want me, you want me to do it in the boys to man voice, guys? Hey, what's up, <laughs> No, no, they're not coming home from a pub pissed at two o'clock in the morning when years ago all normal programming would have stopped. You want me to do it in the Harvey Norman voice? Whatever you want, mate. (laughs) You see, that is more in tune with the people who come to our live show rather than that weird text flirt to 1-800-LONELY that you were doing a few minutes ago. (laughs) That's how I used to make my money. Yes, I will use my completely normal voice and I will tell you that we are performing. Why would you tell me that live? with the brilliant Dermot Gavin in the Smock Alley Theatre, right in the smack bang in the middle of Dublin City Centre. It's happening on the 4th of April. Tickets are going fast, so get them. You can get them wherever you like. You can go to our link tree, which is in all of our socials that Neil just mentioned there. They're in the show notes of this episode, and you can go to the Smock Alley's website and just buy them there as well. But don't be disappointed. It turns out these live podcast episodes are actually massive crack, and if Dermot Gavin's involved, you know it's going to be fun. So make sure you tune in, and we will, uh, we will see you there on the 4th of April. Get your tickets. And for now, back to non-smooth voiced Neil Delamere. Yeah, that was so smooth, except you said, make sure you tune in, which is just a hangover from radio days. And that makes no sense. And the whole <laughs> plug is now invalid <laughs> and no one's going to come. You should have so, just edited that out. I would have sounded cool. You probably will edit it out because you're going to edit this episode. So all my criticism <laughs> is for now. Um, uh, so it's your turn this week to wow me with something that I didn't know before, but I should have known. What do you got for me? I have got the fact that James Bond ended up designing reg plates for cars. <laughs> was he was he really embittered and everyone just said M. Just M, <laughs> nothing else. He was just he was so blown over by that white lotus that had the spinning number plate that oh, went. Yeah. Do you remember that? And then it had yeah. and the machine guns and it was amphibious yeah. and all that. Yeah, whatever. Uh, no, we're actually going to talk to a guy who I'm sure lots of our listeners, if they've got Instagram or TikTok, they've definitely seen this guy. He is Ethan 
the license plate guy. So it's license plate talk on TikTok. It's Ethan, the license plate guy on Instagram. He's amazing. He is obsessed with license plates. That literally has made a career wow. of license plates. He buys them. He sells them. He collects them. He is intrigued by their design. He is familiar with the license plates of every country. He's got the weirdest ones, the best ones, the most valuable ones. He's going to tell us everything there is to know about license plates. He's obsessed with license plates. I mean, we're not talking to him from a state penitentiary or anything, no, are we? No, he's, no. Not, he's not pressing them. Johnny he's Cash in the background. Them. Okay, brilliant. That sounds deadly. And I'm going through James Bond's in my head now. Hmm. Okay, all right. Yeah. You'll find out which one it is. You'll find out which one it is. Uh, but look, that's all in part two, right? In part one, I wanted to do two things, both kind of vaguely in the world of cars, but not specifically about cars, right? What I want to tell you about the time that there was a car that was the most valuable car in the world. And I'm not talking about like a, a $5 million, you know, Ferrari Dino that Enzo Ferrari himself handcrafted. I'm not talking about one of the sultans in the Middle East who had one commissioned. I'm talking about a bang average run-of-the-mill Volvo that Neil Delamere was worth $100 million. <laughs> Jesus. $100 yeah. million. Let me take you back. Okay. Back in 1997, an employee of this company entered a command. You'll know this from your computer science degree. He entered the command. Sorry, I shouldn't say he, they, because we don't know who it is. It's unnamed, and I think for a good reason unnamed. But enter the command RM space minus R space minus F. Okay? And what that does, Neil, I'm sure you remember your computer programming. Formatting a file, formatting a drive or something? No, what it actually does is it deletes unwanted files below a certain directory. So whatever directory you enter that, it goes... Oh, right. So you don't want like, all of these. In other words, what you would do is say, this is, I'll give you a clue. This was in animation. Okay. So in this animation movie, they had decided, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. This folder of this character thing, we've got enough of this character's hat and hand movements and eyes and whatever. So anything below that, we can delete. Okay. So somebody went RM minus R minus F, enter, and went on their lunch break. What they didn't realize is that they put that at the root level. Oh. Of the entire movie. What? And it was a movie called Toy Story 2. Oh, my good Lord. Now. When did they realize? Oh, here's how they realized. This is incredible. This was in 1997. There's no iCloud. There's nothing. There's no backup. There's the, there's the one. <laughs> I'm cringing and even here in this. In fact, they were having backup issues at the time that this person did that. And it was, by the way. Completely backed That's all we know is completely backed But the person put us in in the room and it started to delete the movie like from the ground up. Just was like delete, delete, delete. And the thing about this is, I don't know if you know this, again, you can't stop that. There's no code you can enter to stop this happening. And what they did was they were in a meeting and they double clicked a folder to look at Woody's hat. Yeah. And they went, oh, Woody's hat. Yeah, we've got 75. Oh, no, we've got four versions of Woody's hat. And then they, wrote, and they went, uh, three versions of Woody's hat. Uh, two, what's happening? And they realized Woody's hat was being deleted. And they went, oh my God, someone must have put an RM minus R minus F command in Woody's folder. And they went back out of the folder and they saw Ham, his folder, and his folder went, bing, and disappeared. And then they saw Buzz and his folder went, bing, and, and they were like, oh my God. So they literally went down. Remember at this time, this is not just affecting like Toy Story 2 and, you know, several computers. A bug's life is being made 
by Pixar, if you've guessed that this is Pixar, by the way, A Bug's Life is being made at the same time. And they went down and they plugged out everything, everything. So while they were losing all of Toy Story 2, they also lost whatever, for example, since the last backup of A Bug's Life. Now, I don't think that was as badly affected, but this, because it wasn't deleting that, but it was just whatever they plugged out. But they literally went that far. They plugged it out. Bridges. Yeah. George Foreman grills. <laughs> Air conditioning. All the phone chargers, even though it was 1997, there were practically no phones. Walt Disney's cryo chamber. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they unplugged it all. And then they very gingerly, obviously, plugged bits of it back in to see what happened. And as they plugged it back in, they realized that Toy Story 2 was gone. Like, full on gone. Like, to the point where there was just, there was basically nothing left. So they called a massive meeting. They called all the heads of the studio in and all the people who could help and whatever. And to be fair to Pixar, and I think this speaks honestly about the kind of company Pixar was then, but was destined to become, which is obviously a giant in the animation world. And they didn't start, which I think I would have started, was like, who did this? And what medieval torture can we put this person through? They sat in the meeting and went, what can we do? And that was their question. And they sat there and they went through all of these different scenarios of where they might be able to piece bits together because certain animators were working on certain things and their computers weren't connected to the local network. So they had, you know, they realized after a while that they had a little bit of ham and they had a little bit of, but by the time that meeting was over, they went, no, there's no way we can do this. Do you know what I would do? Uh, sorry, but I, I would find the person who did it. <laughs> of course And would. what I would do is I would hope they had loads of tattoos. Oh. And if they didn't have loads of tattoos, I would get them tattooed. And then I would slowly remove the pictures from their body <laughs> using a laser. Because it's probably really sore. But line by line <laughs> by line. But they they took this, well, I suppose, proactive approach because they have to figure out how they're going to solve the problem before they do the punishment. So. Absolutely. And the thing is, they had a finite date. This was in 1997, but the movie was coming out. There was no, like, you know, this... The solution was more important than the recriminations. Okay. So a voice popped up in the meeting called Galen Sussman, and she was a technical director who had just given birth to her son, was on maternity leave, but had come in for the crazy meeting and, like, what was going on. And she said, guys, do you remember when I left from maternity leave? And they were like, oh, yeah, that was a few months ago. Congratulations on the birth of your child. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I took a silicon graphics machine with me. They were like, oh, you did? And she's like, and it's 1997. My internet is terrible. So, A, all I have is like 56K upload download. B, I haven't plugged it in today. So, I'm pretty sure that the day I walked out of here and the little updates I've done since, I have a copy of Toy Story 2 in my house. So, herself and one of the producers got up, left the Pixar panic meeting. They went to her house and very carefully wrapped this machine, this PC, and this is not a joke, in duvets and blankets, and they strapped it in with the seatbelts in the seat, in her, vo- in her Volvo, drove back to Pixar HQ. As they drove back, her Volvo was now worth $100 million. <laughs> it's easily the most expensive car in the history of cars. Okay, there's a point at which... If that was me driving the car and the realisation hit me, this car is worth $100 million. If I was making the film of this, she would pull up to a T-junction where right was towards Pixar and left was towards Mexico. And I would be <laughs> driving to Mexico. <laughs> What's she going to do? I mean, her options are leave it back, uh, number one. Number two, 
I mean, you can't really blackmail them. <laughs> and, like, like, yeah, well, you, you might have. I don't you, know. You, I mean, yeah, but uh, with the blackmail, okay, so blackmail is, okay, uh, well, I'm going to give it to you or I'm going to destroy it. Like, the third option would be that you sell it a fair or Like, you just drive down an alleyway and then just somebody with a projector and you can watch Toy Story 2. Like, Bike Club. But here's the thing. She drove back and they turned the machine on. Now, you can imagine the trepidation with which they turned this machine on. And there are several boot systems to this machine. And the way data is usually lost on a silicon graphics machine in 1997 is on booting. Yeah. So they sat there, they made a decision of how they were going to do it, which power supply they were going to use. They booted it up. They chose the safest boot and it booted fine. Toy Story 2 lived again. Oh, that is... What? Oh. It didn't. Now, the movie was fine. Her computer worked. Yeah. But after Christmas of that year, or the following year, whatever it was, Christmas and they came back to work, the directorial team and the story team had met and went, we actually hate this movie and we're going to bin it and we're going to do a new movie. And, and they were all like, I'm sorry, what? And they were like, yeah. What? We've pitched a new story to all the bosses and we're starting again. The only thing they kept from the, this version that we've just talked about that was $100 million yeah. that Galen Sussman that she saved, the only thing they kept was the main character animation, so Woody and Buzz and all that, whatever, and Al's Toy Barn, which if you go back and watch Toy Story 2, is the start of the movie. That's all they kept. Everything else was binned. They completely rewrote and remade Toy Story 2 in nine months. Dave, you have brought me on an emotional roller coaster ride, the equivalent <laughs> of, of Bitcoin in terms of my emotions there. I was engaged, then I was grieving. Then I was in denial. Then I was angry. Now I'm just sad that you wasted my time. <laughs> and briefly you, briefly, you were joyous because of the I, relief you felt that they had saved it. No, they literally binned it. Isn't that unbelievable? That, well, I did not know that. And now I'm glad I do. There you go. That's what this is all about. Enriching your brain. But now I want to tell you a story about a car. My car, Neil. Okay. And this isn't some kind of plucked out of the world fact. I haven't searched the internet for this. This is a story of a thing that happened to me in Dublin that I have to share with you and I have to share with our listeners to the podcast. I was driving my car out of my friend's recording studio car park and driving home in yeah. Dublin city centre. Okay. Now, I say my car. It was the car I shared with my mother at the time. Okay. I was a young music go-getter, uh, which meant it's code for I have no money. Uh, and so <laughs> my mom said, yeah, you can borrow my car whenever you want. Uh, her car was one of those cheese wedge-shaped A-class Mercedes. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. They were the very first ones they built. Like Very futuristic. I don't know if you remember, they did a roll test where they drive a car down. It's called an elk test, actually. They drive a car down a racetrack or whatever, and then they put a fake elk at the end of it, and you have to <laughs> twist and turn and twist. And then the car, obviously, they measure the amount of rollers. And the A-class rolled, like, really badly, uh, like, rolled over. Like, yeah. And they were like, it failed the elk test. So then they had to put in loads of technology into the A-Class. And they borrowed a lot of that from the very expensive S-Class Mercedes. Uh, so all of a sudden, these cars, I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think they started to run a loss for Mercedes every time they sold one because the cars were so much more advanced than they needed to be. But one of the key things about the car was the engine wasn't in the traditional part of the engine bay. It was actually underneath your feet, running all the way back. 
had a sandwich floor. This is the one, if I'm thinking correctly, it was almost like the front of a transit van. It, it was uh, like it would just drop off. There was Drops no kind of bonnet. Off. It would just no drop bonnet. off the windscreen. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I mean, a little, very little bonnet. You, when you opened it up, I think in there you had your like wiper washer fluid, the oil dipstick or whatever, and yeah. maybe the oil pourer in or a bit. That was it. I'm very technical about cars, obviously, as you can see. But yeah, it was exactly shaped like a triangle at the front, and then the engine was spaced out in a sandwich floor underneath where your feet were and where you sat or whatever, right? Okay. Very futuristic car. So I'm driving this car and uh, driving out of my friend's recording studio up, uh, actually not far from where I work in Today FM, and driving around the green. And Stevens Green, in case anyone who's listening hasn't been to Dublin, Stevens Green has changed its traffic layout about 9,000 times. You can go one way, you can go the other way. Now there's Lewis and you can't go this way, but you can go that way, whatever. It's very complicated. But at the time, you could drive down like facing Grafton Street and then when you got to Grafton Street you'd, you'd hang a right and then you'd go down Dawson Street and out onto Pier Street and home okay so that was the way I was going so I drove around and the traffic was snarled up there at the top of Grafton Street for some reason the lights were green I didn't know what was going on and then I looked down I heard kind of shouting and screaming that panicked almost um, disaster movie thing that kind of feeling of like this scream I was like what and then I realised that Around Stevens Green are these horses and carts. And if you're coming to Dublin as a tourist, or even if you're not a tourist, it's great fun to do it. You hop in a horse and cart, you go around, the lads take their solid, salt of your Dublin lads. They'll take you on a tour, drive you around up to Guinness and all around the historical parts of Dublin, explain everything to you in the great Dublin accent and tell you all about the amazing city founded by the Vikings and all of that kind of stuff. 988 AD and all that. <laughs> One of the horses had bolted. Oh, Lord. The fella, only a young fella, who was holding on to the reins, was running alongside this now full speed racehorse <laughs> with the giant cart behind him. And the horse had, for whatever had panicked the horse, he had gone and he was running and he was in and out of cars, dragging the, the thing with him. But he was down the other side of Dawson, a fair bit away from me. But then he got closer. <laughs> that's what that's what running does, all right. And he was getting a lot closer. And then, of course, of course, the horse decided to pull a full ninety degree right turn directly in front of my Mercedes A class. Not altogether sure why. Maybe it was the fact that it was green. He thought it might have looked like the grass he liked to chew on. I don't know what it was, but he pulled a full right turn. Yeah. Now, you know the way in cartoons when animals, and sometimes you see it with dogs on wooden floors, their legs go, tick, 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 and they're like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're basically, they're oversteering into a, into a turn, okay? It's what this horse was doing <laughs> outside of my windscreen. <laughs> so his, his four hooves were grasping for grip, and obviously on the streets of Dublin and his hooves, it just wasn't happening. And his giant body came down Oh, God. And landed on my windscreen, right? Oh, oh. Shattered the windscreen, slid down the bonnet. Yeah. And obviously crunched the front of the car. And obviously I was in a state of shock, panic, whatever. Oh, my God, what's happening? And then the cart, because of the physics, the cart, he fell down. The cart flew up in the air. And then that thing happened that people talk about in moments of disaster. Time slowed down for me jesus christ the reason it slowed down is i remember thinking a couple of things i remember thinking 
this is a really weird way to die. (laughs) (laughs) Because up in the sky and slowly coming down towards my windscreen was this, I don't know, what do they weigh? One ton cart? Like they're big, heavy wooden things with giant cart wheels. And it was coming down towards me. And I remember thinking, this is a really weird way to die. I remember thinking, I just had left my friend Graham back at his studio and thinking like, Oh, I probably should have just gone back around to ground when the traffic was snarled up. And then I thought, oh, I wonder, is the horse going to be okay? This was all in the space. Like, this was literally a nanosecond of when the horse went, clink, crunch, bang, cart up in the air, shit, was coming down. And I had all of these different thoughts in my head. Have you ever seen Ben-Hur? Not in living memory. Yes, I think when I was very small, I saw Okay, because, I mean, this is this is a Charlton Heston-esque Demise, right? You, you're 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 edging towards this. I assume, by the way, there was nobody in the. You know, when the horse hits the windscreen and the the car comes up, I'm I'm assuming there's no like American tourist just catapulted into the distance. <laughs> you didn't hear just oh my god like that. You didn't. <laughs> I can see the cattle right over here. <laughs> no, uh, there was completely empty. It was just the young fella holding on to the, the the reins who had fallen with the horse. Okay. And then down it came, down it came, down it came. The horse, the cart. And it did the thing that maybe I hinted at at the start when I told you about the shape of the A-class. It just shattered directly in front of the car. But I didn't have a bonnet and it didn't Ah. hit any of the car. So if that was a normal car, that's basically going to hit your bonnet. It's going to smash the bonnet and then bounce. It's going to bounce and it's going to hit you probably. And the horse has already taken out the windscreen, essentially. It's smashed the windscreen. So so imagine full hindquarters of a horse crunch on the windscreen and slide down and the cart comes up and I'm like, oh my God. Then it goes clink right in front of the car and just shatters and whatever. Jesus. Now, the car is in ribbons. Absolute ribbons, as I said, shattered windscreen. The front of it is completely crushed from the horse. Bits of the cart have have pierced it and whatever, but nothing has kind of gone near me, whatever. So obviously I get out of the car. Your man is up. The horse is up. The cart is upright. All of the other lads who are with the horse have taken them away and they're kind of walking down towards Harcourt Street, obviously to calm the horse and calm your man and get out of the scene of the damage or whatever. People are ringing the guards, obviously, because this has been this massive incident, whatever. So I'm kind of standing there and then one of the lads comes over and he's like, uh, yeah, all right. I was like, I don't actually know. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm fairly shook. So then I rang my friend Graham from the recording studio. He came round to me. I was standing there with him again. I'm having the I'm kind of trying to remember. The, but like this is all in states of shock. So I don't really remember too much. The next thing I do remember is a Garda on his bike arrived hmm. and he got off and he kind of looked at me and looked at the car and asked what happened. And I gave him my very quick version of that story or whatever. And he went, um, can you drive the car? And I went, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm not really you, sure if I have, should, to yeah. be honest with you. Have, you. have you seen the car? And I was like, you know, he said, well, just start it up there and see see what happens. And so I went, start it up. He said, drive it, drive it a couple of feet there. Drove it forward. He goes, yeah, nothing's blocking the wheels. He goes, just, just drive it on home there now. And I was like, but like, there's been an accident and your man with the horse. And he goes, and he kind of looked at me in a way that people in the know look at you. Yes. And he yeah. went, if I were you now, Dave, I get in that car and I drive it out of here. And I was like, what? And he kind of glanced over his shoulder. And what had been like three horse and cart guys was now 50 horse and cart guys. <laughs> now, 
<laughs> That's they, a wagon train. They're going to yeah, Oregon. Yeah. Um, there was pointing. There was gesticulating. I don't know what was or wasn't going to happen. I don't know whether, you know, they thought maybe I was going to bring them into some form of disrepute and they wanted to, you know, make sure I didn't do that. I don't know what he was hinting at, but I got the hint. <laughs> I got in the car. I drove the banjaxed car home to my ma and went, uh, sorry, look at your car. A horse <laughs> crashed into it. Had a bit of a tip in your car. What happened? I hate sugar. I hate a horse. When I told her that story, she told me that her dad, my grandfather, was driving down the road in Limerick, in the rural back roads of Limerick where they lived, and a horse jumped through his windscreen and landed in his car. Okay, something happened with your family years ago, and you and horses have been traditional enemies, and there's a blood feud between you and horses, and yes. you don't even know what it is. And every horse, when it's born, the mother brings it aside and licks it clean, and then whispers these. It shows us a picture of everybody in the Moore family, and goes, these, these, we are sworn to take these f- fuckers down. If you ever see one, it doesn't matter what happens to you. Arse your arse. I'm using arse as the verb. Arse your hindquarters into the windscreen and just praise not in an A-class for your mother must be avenged. Yes. She must be avenged. So do you know when you do? see the when you see the you know the Budweiser ad where all the, the Clyde sales running you just flash back to your car, you start shuddering in your front room. Panic stations. In your, in your front passenger seat, <laughs> your front driver's seat. So we should say horse okay, we assume. I wouldn't you wouldn't tell the story if the horse wasn't no, okay. No, horse was okay, horse walked away. Moon walked away. Chap seemed okay. In fairness to the cart, the wheels didn't... Like, lots of the cart shattered, but the wheels itself were fine because they're just so big and heavy. That wandered away as well. But the, so, yeah, in terms of, like, all of that, as I said, it was just a case of... But a horse landed on your car. You were still able to drive the car home. I'm surprised you didn't get a phone call from Germany going, uh, we would like to use the footage on the safety ad. Uh, <laughs> It has failed the elk test, but passed with flying colours the horse test. <laughs> it's just you in an ad on German television going, yes. my name's Dave Moore and I was injured at an accident that wasn't my fault. However, the A-class is top quality in terms of safety. <laughs> I will praise it to the day I die. It's a phenomenally safe car from that I point hope of view. that's not now in all the tests that they do. <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw a horse on the side of it and see what happens. No, I don't know. Look, here's the thing. I just got out of there. I let insurance companies do what insurance companies do. And we never heard, you know, from anyone again. It was fine. But it was literally one of the most terrifying things. And the thing is, (laughs) it happened, I think, I think it was 2000. People had mobile phones, but not smartphones. People weren't taking videos or doing like, do you know what I mean? So there's no footage. There was no known kind of security cameras around in 2000 that like certainly the guards weren't making video available or whatever. There wasn't an at guard of traffic Instagram account up Grafton up. Street there's always a fella uh, or certainly there used to be a fella doing amazing chalk drawings on the pavement oh yeah yeah he yeah he was trying to get that down really quickly <laughs> as it just as it just, unfolded between four eyes. as it unfolded yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that is amazing um, yeah it was properly terrifying but hey the horse lived I lived the car was repaired everything was fine how would you describe the badge of Ferrari the prancing horse, it's called. Yeah, do you know where people go? Oh, well, if I if I ever win the lotto, I'm gonna yeah. have a I'm gonna have a prancing horse mm-hmm. on my bonnet, mm-hmm. and they mean kind of figuratively. <laughs> whereas you basically had literally had a horse twerk <laughs> right in front of you. Yeah. Did you at least tuck 
like chuck a twenty dollar note into the horse and stab <laughs> it, was, it was bridal for a private oh. dance. Well done, well done. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay. That's I the just the hell out of there. There's two. There's two car stories for you. We're going to get loads more car stuff in part two. We're going to speak to Ethan, the license plate guy. You'll know from TikTok and Instagram. He's going to educate us on the world of license plates in a sec. And why would you tell me that? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? And we are joined now by Ethan Kraft, who is known as, is it Ethan License Plate Ethan on TikTok? I've changed up the, the username a couple of times, but now it's Ethan the License Plate Guy. Ethan the license plate guy. It's funny when I told a couple of people that I was doing an episode on license plates, they were like, "Oh my god, are you talking to Ethan the license plate guy?" And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, we are." I'm glad, I'm glad I've made such a big impression over in Ireland. Well, I'm so glad you did join us uh, because there's an awful lot to unpack in the world of license plates. Uh, and in part one, I promised Neil I would explain why James Bond ended up designing reg plates. So please explain to him which James Bond we are talking about. Pierce Brosnan has personally designed one of California's license plates. Oh, James <laughs> yeah. Bond himself, Navin's Pierce Brosnan. What did it look like? It's a, it's a plate for pet adoption. So it's one of his original drawings, piece of art, uh, featuring his two pets, dog and cat. And uh, it's been in production in California for at least 10 years now, I want to say. You see, this is something I think, Ethan, that perhaps we don't really understand over this side of the world. We know there are colourful licence plates in the US and particularly behind you, we can see a wall of them. And obviously for our podcast listeners, they can't see it. But we know there are different colours, there are different ones that represent different states. But there is artwork on US licence plates that we don't see here in Ireland at all. There is, you know, it goes beyond just having different colours or for different sports teams or universities or charities. 
you know, there are plates commissioned by famous artists. There are plates based on famous paintings in the U.S. and Canada as well. And there really is more than I even know. Tens of thousands of different specialty plates available in the continent. And so why did Pierce do one that was for pet adoption? So the, the backstory, you know, he's always been a pretty prominent animal rights guy, like an animal lover. Um, I know the cat on the plate is named Angel Baby and his dog, I want to say Shiloh. But of course, it's California, it's Hollywood, anything can happen. Um, and, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that, uh, you know, a star has kind of lent some star power to a license plate out there. But what a cool story, you know, you have your own license plate and now it's got his original artwork. It's got his signature in the corner. <laughs> That's his design out on the road. And so if you live in California, can you then just say to your, say to the local DMV, uh, Department of Motor Vehicles, those of us who don't watch as much American TV as I do. Uh, so can you just <laughs> can you just say to them, I want the Pierce Brosnan pet adoption license plate? Pretty well. Every state has a specialty plate program. In some states, there's five or six options. In some states, there are upwards of two, three, four hundred. Uh, oh. So you go in, pay an extra fee between 20 to 50 euros, usually uh, equivalent. And then instead of getting the standard white California plate that I'm sure you've seen in a, every movie and TV show you've ever watched based yeah. in the U.S., uh, you get this special one with his artwork. But California has, again, a number for national parks, for you know wildlife conservation, for universities. So where does that money go? You pay the extra money for the plate. Is there a deal between the people who have commissioned the plate or is it just because it's harder to make it, it still goes to the state? So it's, it's split up. Every state, again, has different rules. But for example, where I'm from in Arizona, specialty plates cost $25, 17 of which goes to whatever charity the plate is supporting. And then $8 goes to cover manufacturing costs, state taxes, whatever else they want to keep it for. One of the things I definitely wanted to explore is you, you've mentioned there the very reasonable sounding prices of uh, license plates and speciality license plates being up to 50 euro doesn't sound very expensive, but I presume there are rare and coveted license plates that go for a lot of money. I know in the UK and certainly in the Middle East as well, personalized plates, as in the letters and numbers combination can be more expensive sometimes than the luxury cars they're attached to and can sell for hundreds of thousands, even millions of, of euro. But in terms of actual physical plates, what's the most expensive one you've come across? As a collector, you know, I've seen plates, I wish I, I, wish I had the money for them, go in the five figures. Uh, when you're talking about 100 plus year old stuff made of porcelain, really the first few years of license plate history, that stuff can command tens of thousands. A porcelain plate? Originally, a lot of states started in the early 1900s. Often they were made out of whatever the driver had available. The state would just give you a number and you furnish the plate yourself out of wood or leather or whatever you had. But a lot of the early ones were made of you know, metal backing coated in porcelain. Of course, those didn't survive very well. So no. <laughs> they, they discontinued them after a few years and to find one now in good condition is pretty remarkable for most states. And so would you be talking, like when you say, you know, tens of thousands, would you be talking like 10,000? Would you be talking 50,000 and, and more? I'd, I'd, be, I'd say the, the upper end is in the 50 to 60,000 range. Uh, wow. Of course, you have places like uh, Dubai or, or in the UK, as you mentioned, where millionaires and billionaires will pay way more than that for the registration rights. But when you talk about my world, which is just collecting and putting a piece of metal on your wall, it's 50,000, 60,000 is the upper end. Are there things like, um, you know, number one in a state or number one around the world? Like, I mean, we know that here in Ireland, we've got a very interesting way of doing plates. I know actually, Ethan, you've, you've said it before on your TikTok that you're a fan of the Irish number of plates and because we use the year, 
we use the letter signifying the county and then the upwards numbers that just go from one up to whatever. But the one usually goes to the Lord Mayor. And certainly I remember like seeing the very first time I think I saw it was 88 D1. And I remember just freaking out that oh, what a registration that was like yeah. oh my, and it's the lord mayor in a volvo or whatever he was driving <laughs> but are there ones as well all around the world that are more sought after and more valuable there are so in, in some jurisdictions number one will of course be reserved for the president or the prime minister or the mayor uh, of whatever jurisdiction in in the u.s some states it's kind of the same where low numbers will command outrageous prices to register them but in other states it's just a game of luck where the number one is is the same as getting a personalized plate with your name or your initials or whatever you want on it. If you can okay. be lucky enough to score a low number, it's the same price as any other plate. You know, you're talking about um, these American TV shows you've seen, Dave, so you said DMV. The only thing that I would know about license plates in my head or what I mm. think I know from American TV is that license plates or registration plates are made in prisons. Now, is that still a thing or is that just, uh, you know, one of these kind of myths from TV and film? That's that's actually one of the questions I get pretty much on every video, every other video. Someone says, is it true license plates are made in prison? Because I know I saw that in TV shows and cartoons growing up. You get, you know, get to the, sent to the prison and you get put on the stamping machine. And that, that is true. It's, it's a common practice. It was originally in almost all 50 states. Now... Some more private factories have come into the mix, but in the majority of the U.S., it still comes out of the prison. Behind you, you do have a wall of license plates. What ones mean the most to you? What what makes a license plate exciting to you? Well, I've always said, you know, I, I collect, number one, anything I don't have. But <laughs> the license plates on my wall that you see behind me in all of my TikTok videos are just a couple hundred of my favorites. I have thousands and thousands of inboxes off camera. These are usually the the most expensive or the most rare or have some sentimental value to me. There's a story behind pretty much all of them. And when did you start your love affair with license plates? Yeah, it's got to be 20 plus years. You know, I'm 24 now. So really, as long as I can remember, you know, the the story my parents always tell is that I was on a road trip with them, you know, as as a little kid, obviously pissed off, crying, you know, not happy to be there. And to cheer me up, they started pointing out the window. There's a plate from California. There's a plate from Texas. And that must have clicked in my brain somehow, because ever since I was really little, I've been into them. Yeah, we used to play that game. We used to drive. My Both my parents are from Limerick. We lived in Dublin. I still live in Dublin. And we would travel down to see their family, our relations, uh, every summer, a couple of times a year, whatever. And the game we would play was how many different registration from different counties can we see? But it wasn't as easy as it is now, where you're looking for D for Dublin, WW for Wicklow, G for Galway. It was like... You know, Limerick was T.I. and Claire was, you know, I don't know, F or what was what was uh, Offaly, Neil? Uh, Offaly years ago was I.R. and it's O.Y. now, yeah. I.R., you see. So you had to, it didn't even really make sense. You'd be like, Dad, what's a C.I.? He's like, um, I'm sure that's Fermanagh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Confidential informant, Dave, but that's a different part of my job that we don't want to go into. <laughs> Some folks, of course, now they make they make pretty good sense. But, you know, a lot of them. In, in Ireland, like they used to be, and still in many countries around the world, the codes are just for bureaucracy's sake. So they're not meant yeah. to be easy for you to decode. What's the Liechtenstein story? Don't they have, haven't they had the same ones forever? They have. So so they're they're pretty similar to Swiss plates these days, except they're black instead of white. But uh, they have had essentially the same plates since 1920 or so. They changed a little bit. They have a, a little uh, crest on their license plate that used to be red and blue. Now it's red and yellow. But 
Whoa, to slow to down, Liechtenstein. Oh, crazy. The, the general color scheme, the, the numbering format, uh, you know, it has all pretty much remained the same for 100 plus years now. So, you know, the numbering format of uh, Irish plates and we have the little blue EU flag and stuff, right? Mm. I heard years ago, this, I think, and I heard it in a pub and it was very late at night. But, <laughs> you know, you see some guy with that and it's it's it's, this, it's the proper numbering and lettering combination. But it's in this like comic sans font almost. Is that <laughs> legal in Ireland? So, so this is one thing I mentioned this in my TikTok video about the Irish plates. But of course, every time I do a video about some country in the world, people rush to to criticize, people rush to correct me. So I do mention okay. those plates. Um, and apparently they're not legal per se, and you'll fail the NCT, is what my commenter said, if you have one that's too out of bounds. But I, you know, I was just in Dublin a couple months ago. I saw a handful of those customized letters on the road. Not as common as I did the first time I came to Ireland several years ago, but they're still out there. And depending on how strict your uh, police officer is nearby, you might get stopped, you might not. Well, it's funny. I I have always driven German cars for as long as I can remember. And one of the things that I definitely wanted to get when I got a BMW back in 2014 was the same reg that was on the car, obviously, but done in the German font rather than the Irish font. So it doesn't look very different, but it's different enough that another German car driver who loves German cars like me would kind of, you know, it would just, I'd see people behind me in traffic and he'd nod, going, Yeah, I see what you. Ich sehe, dass der du machst der. Ja, ja, sehr gut. But that was very exciting to me. And that's only a very small change. But I do see the ones you're talking about, Ethan, with some of them have embossed letters. Some of them, like Neil said, are in fonts that you can barely read. Yeah, you've got all that. When I, again, when I was in Ireland recently, I noticed a lot of the blackout plates where the, the blue EU strip is, is black and white, I guess are popular for sports cars now. Yeah. Uh, but there is a lot of that customization. Do you have any idea? roughly speaking, how much your collection is worth? You know, I haven't gone through and done any sort of inventory in a long time. Last I checked, it was in the tens of thousands range. But, you know, I've been putting just as much into it through my social media channels and through the internet. I've been selling license plates, trading license plates. And, you know, I might uh, buy $10,000 worth of plates in any single year. But then again, I, I sell maybe, hopefully... 10,500 to, to break even a little bit. All right, that's interesting because Neil and our listeners will know that I collect uh, sneakers and guitars. And, you know, I, I can completely understand the desire to own, you know, either a range of a certain thing that you really like. Like I have, there's a type of guitar called an Ibanez RG. I probably have 15 of them. Do I need 15 different ones in different colors or different pickups? No, but... That's not why you collect things. So do you find yourself kind of trying to complete collections like people collected Pokemon cards or World Cup stickers? Or I do. And, and you, the good thing about license plates is that, and I think what's so appealing to a lot of people, is that you can really find a sort of run or range for anything. If you want to collect from all 50 states from the year you were born, you can. If you want to collect every football team or, or hockey team, you can. There's really, really all manner of different plates and different crossovers with other hobbies so, so I find myself doing that sometimes for an American or Canadian collecting all 50 states or all 10 provinces is usually the first goal. And then, like you can see on the wall behind me, just kind of spirals out of control. Do you know, you say you're talking about a Canadian there and you're talking to us from Canada. I've been to Montreal a lot and it always struck me on their registration plates, they have Je me souviens, I remember. Who decides that? And presumably you can't write whatever you want on your plate, can you? 
No, so at least not in North America, uh, some jurisdictions, but uh, in Quebec and pretty much everywhere in North America and around the world, it's the government that mandates what is on the license plate. Quebec in particular is very strict about it. Uh, so they used to say La Belle Provence, the beautiful province, back in the, the 1950s, 60s, 70s. But right around the time they started to try and split off from Canada, they got a little more patriotic about it and uh, changed to Jemassoubien. Does anyone know what they're remembering here? There, there's a bit of a debate about that in the license plate world. But uh, <laughs> the, the common theory is that it relates to a poem about having French heritage but being controlled by the English, and it all ties into them being different from the rest of Canada. Okay, actually, speaking of the French, isn't there a weird quirk in French registrations where you could live in one part of, well, one part of the world, one part of France? Like, so if Neil and I live in Dublin, we should have Dublin registrations. That's the way it should work. It doesn't always, I guess. But uh, but you can have a place from kind of anywhere that France owns. Is that right? Pretty well. So, so like you mentioned in, in Ireland, uh, the county on your plate usually corresponds to wherever you live or wherever the car was registered first. Uh, but in France, they have on the uh, right side of the plate another blue band similar to the EU strip, but it has the department code and the department little logo in the mm. corner. But there's no law that says it has to be the department where you live. So you could live in Paris and get a license plate for your car from French Guiana or Tahiti or Clipperton Island, which is owned by France, but it's been uninhabited for 100 years. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that that's very so cool. cool. If I lived in France, I know what I would do. Where is Clipperton Island? It's about 500 kilometers off the coast of Mexico. Wow. It's got an interesting history on its own, but, uh, you know, no reason for them to have any special plates. Dave was talking about the, um, you know, the Lord Mayor of Dublin used to get 88D1. Uh, Does the American president get Washington, D.C. 1, Big Dog, Pennsylvania Avenue? Does he get one? (laughs) Again, it depends on the president, but in the U.S., uh, since the 1990s, since Bill Clinton was president, it's been the custom for the president's limousine and his motorcade to use Washington number 800-002. How disappointing! But the story goes that one of Bill Clinton's aides uh, was sent to the Washington, D.C. motor vehicle office to get new plates 25, 30 years ago. And they gave him a box of plates they had to give out and said, pick out a number you like, and that's the one he came home with. Uh, he brought back to the White House. So every other president has also kept 800-002. So that's, yeah, that's one thing that has transcended uh, party lines when you just saw Joe Biden in the UK for, for the Queen's funeral. His motorcade even over there was using 800-002. Actually, heads of state, do you, do you find yourself, you know, when you're watching rolling news coverage or something like that, like the the funeral or maybe any kind of procession or whatever, do you find yourself drawn immediately to the plate to see what one it is? I do. Anytime I'm watching the news, anytime, much to my uh, friend's hatred, uh, anytime we're watching TV or a movie together, I'll be leaning over. Oh, those prop plates. Oh, this is what they did wrong. Oh, (laughs) this this is right compared to the real world. Oh yeah. You know the way, you know the way phone numbers in movies and TV shows in in the US to hide numbers, they always say five, 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 and then whatever digital number. Is there a fake plate kind of standard that you know when they say registration eight, five, that you go, oh, that's the fake one. There is, there is one, a California plate two GAT one, two, three, that has been in, I don't know how many movies and TV shows enough to have its own Wikipedia page just for that plate number. <laughs> no, um, no way. But uh, again, every state has a different sequence. So sometimes they'll mirror a real one. Sometimes it's totally off base. But that's the first thing I notice anytime I watch something. Have you ever been hit by a car? <laughs> uh, 
luckily not. I've been I was tapped once walking down the street in New York. I'm just thinking that you're you're always looking down at car number plates. I, I'm surprised that you've gotten to 24 and not been smashed by another car coming from a different direction. Well, some people, you know, I'm surprised I haven't been uh, gotten in more trouble. I just did a video a few months ago uh, about French license plates while I was visiting Luxembourg, and I was crouched down behind this guy's car filming the license plate. <laughs> All of a sudden, guess who walks up? The guy with the, the the car keys who unlocks his car. And I, of course, my French is mediocre at best. So is his English. Um, so I got out of there. <laughs> yeah, trying to explain you, you yourself. Just stay there while I go on TikTok and prove who I am. I'm not a car <laughs> thief. I'm an eccentric collector. I just want to show your license plate to a few hundred thousand people. It's not a big deal. <laughs> it's not a big deal at all. Are there any states where... Literally anything goes, you know, because obviously there must be rules and regulations. But is there any state that just goes, ah, you know what, whatever you want? Kind of. Uh, some are more relaxed than others. But uh, in Texas, for example, corporations can sponsor license plates. So you'll have specialty plates in addition to nonprofits and, and universities. You'll have plates with cheeseburgers and a Dr. Pepper can and, <laughs> you know, the Ford Motor Company logo. In Maine, not for specialty plates, but for personalized plates. There haven't historically been a lot of rules regarding what you can put. So swear words, sexual innuendo, really anything goes. Uh, <laughs> really? You know, versus in, in the 49 other states that have pretty, pretty strict. Uh, pretty strict I mean, Maine is such a beautiful place. I've been there a few times and it is famed for its beautiful autumns or falls, as you call it there. Like, I didn't realize that as we're watching, you know, the leaves turn in the Maine countryside, <laughs> there's a car driving down the road with, fuck you, asshole, written in the back. <laughs> Oh yeah, so if, if you ever, if you ever check out Instagram, there's a whole page dedicated to it called Vanities of Maine, and they have ones from Milf Mobile to you know Fuck You Asshole, Moosecker, all sorts of horrendous, horrendous plates. Cabot Cove was famously in Maine, wasn't this Jessica Fletcher's home place? Yes, it was. Her her stately car, like driving Miss Daisy, going down the road, but fuck off, solve your own murder, dickwad. <laughs> so, that's brightened up my day no end, I have to say. You don't you don't see it in my TikToks because I don't want to get in trouble with the app. But yeah, I've yeah. got one off screen that says "fuck yourself" from Maine. That's my favorite. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! And are are number plates always the same shape? Are they always rectangular, or can you have a, a cutout of the state or the area logo, or could you have an Irish plate? Maybe not in Ireland because it's not regulated, but somewhere around the world you could have it as you know the number plate could be the same um, shape as the actual uh, province it's representing. In in the U.S. and in most of Canada, it's regulated uh, to 12 inches long and 6 inches high and whatever that is in centimeters. But in the Northwest Territories up in northern Canada since 1970, that's the one exception where they have had their license plates cut out instead of a rectangle to be in the shape of a polar bear. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> that very cool. cool. Which are some of the most unique, yeah. of course, you know, in the entire world, I'd say. But when you look at them and overlay it with a regular plate, it is cut out of the the twelve inch by six inch standard, so it does it does conform to all the rules. Right. But you, what you could do there, though, is you could actually show how bad global warming is get if the polar bear was getting thinner and thinner and thinner every year. <laughs> Until you just can't see the number, then it's a real problem. A, yeah, a really powerful message. If the if the base of it was the ice cap and it was the base itself was slowly getting smaller as every the year they take off a little bit of ice from the design. We could, guys, we could solve the crisis all here. And for me, the holy grail in terms of guitars would be a 1991 Steve Vai Ibanez gem. In sneakers, it would be a pair of Macklemore designed green Air Jordan 6s. 
what is your holy grail plate that one day you really hope you could own? Well, I've got I've got a list on my phone of, of 200 and counting plates that I'm like, oh, I need that one for my collection. <laughs> I need that one. So I'll be bankrupt by the time that's finished. But I'd say a couple of my, my holy grail ones. Uh, I actually just received one in the mail the other day that I'd been saving for and searching for because there's no only way. six of them known in private collections in the world, which is from the state of Nevada for a self-driving car. They're the only state with special plates for autonomous vehicles. Wow. And you got one. So I finally scored one of those. It has an infinity symbol as part of the plate number. It's really interesting. But but that one is one that I've had on my list for years and can finally cross off. And do you mind, you don't have to, but do you mind telling me how much it might have cost to get your hands on one of those? I mean, I'll tell you that an Ibanez gem is going to cost me 8,000. Macklemore's green Jordans would probably be priceless, 30 to 100,000. I'm being actually kind of quite like diplomatic about that. I think because they were, they're called FNF, friends and family. So they were only made for Macklemore to give out himself. So he only probably got 23 pairs and gave them to certain people. So I'm, I'm saying 100,000. It could be whatever you're prepared to pay Macklemore to get your hands on one. So if, if he doesn't want to sell them, it might be a million dollars. I don't know. But, you know, yeah. that's what I want. I'm not going to never going to get it. But hey, but how much is a plate like that? Even if you don't want to tell us the exact money you pay, but how much is something like that going to go for? Luckily, luckily, license plates are, at least the way I do it, a slightly more affordable hobby than that. But I think that was a partial trade, partial cash thing. But I'd say about $300 in value or so. Okay. So not exorbitant, but, you know, when I'm dropping. Although it, although it is it is still a piece of 12-inch by 6-inch metal. I mean, you know, a it, it guitar. It is a piece of metal, and, and when I buy yeah. three, four, five of them every day, it adds up. Yeah, so yeah. is a gold bar, though, Dave. I mean, a piece of metal is not necessarily <laughs> a disqualification for something being valuable. Is there a person who is well known as a, a this is the person who has designed multiple registration or license plates? There, there are some people, uh, for the most part, they're designed by the government. But sometimes yeah. individuals, including license plate collectors, will have the chance to design a license plate. So there are, there are a few of those, for example, the person who designed... Arizona's standard license plate that's been in use for 25 years now is a plate collector who I'm friends with on Facebook and we're all in our little community together. Wow. Um, just as well, there are well-known plate collectors who there are, are record-breaking priceless plates and you know, okay, well, Jeff has that one, John has that one, obviously audio guys, music guys, the James gang, Jim Fox, the drummer, is, yeah. is one of the most yeah. well-known license plate collectors in the world. Uh, no way. Really? So, so there, there are definitely some some well known names in it. That's really interesting. And if you could, if you were given the opportunity by, I don't know whether you are in Toronto or maybe back home in Arizona, if somebody said to you, "Okay, Ethan, this is it. You can design your plate. What are you going to go for?" That's a great question, and one one that I would love to to do. I just had a, a video. The state of Colorado opened a contest for the public to design a license plate. And unfortunately, I don't live in Colorado, so I couldn't enter. But I made a a time lapse video of me drawing my my idea and that is now the most viewed tiktok i've ever had uh, wow all these coloradans commenting i would get this for my car reaching out to the dmv reaching out to news stations there saying you gotta you gotta get this license plate into production so fingers crossed that happens but one day I mean, what a legacy Ethan. that would be amazing particularly at 24 you know to achieve something like that would be incredible by the time i close it out uh you know i would love to have a designed a license plate or there's even a license plate hall of fame to, to, to be in that one day. Oh, 
yes. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Ethan, I think we could probably talk to you all day about license plates, but we have to be respectful and let you go about your business of buying and selling plates and collecting them and putting them on your wall. So thank you so much for joining us today for why would you tell me that. I am so much more informed now about license plates than I was at the beginning of this conversation. So thank you. I've bought some sheet metal and a knife and I'm going to make my own. Thanks, Ethan. Of course. Thank you both. Okay, welcome back to Why Would You Tell Me That? Ethan, the license plate guy. I mean, who knew license plates were so interesting, Neil? One of these things that you see every single day of your life and you don't think about it. And now I realize that if something exists, somebody else will collect it and will have a passion for it. And um, if they can talk about it the way Ethan did, get other people interested in it as well. Totally. I mean, like there are, I suppose, as you said, they're so mundane. They're so everyday. Quotidian. Oh, there you are. A bit of Latin coming through there. But they are. And then every now and again, you maybe notice one for whatever reason. Like I presume, you know, when when the new ones come out in, in our country, we get one every six months. You look out for your first 231 or your first 232 or whatever. Uh, I said to you, you know, I like to do this mathematical thing and balance the two sides. Some people like ones that go, look, oh, look, 211, D, 211. That's cool. You know, there's all that kind of stuff. But when you can design them the way the Americans do and the North Americans do, or the way they do around some of the other parts of the world, where they're actually interesting and they're actually unique and they're, you know, they mean something about something you're interested in. They just get very, very interesting very quickly, I think. I'll be honest with you. I was listening to Ethan, but also trying to remember a James Bond fact for most of the interview. Okay, because we did. We talked about Pierce Brosnan designing plates. So what is your James Bond fact? Did you remember it now at this stage? I did remember it. Uh, it was, I was watching at the start, the opening credits, and I never knew this. It was only on recently, of uh, You Only Live Twice. And do you know who wrote the screenplay for it? No. Roald Dahl. Get out. Yeah. In the original one, James Bond fights a big friendly giant, I think. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realise that. Fascinating. I didn't realise that Droll Dahl had written That's a little bond. bonus fact for you. Love it. Love it, Neil. Uh, right. Listen, save your bonus facts for next time because you're up. What have you got for us? Oh, I'm going to tell you about the woman, and not the man who got credit for it, who designed Monopoly. Wow. What she intended it to be used for. Amazing. Cannot wait. Right. Get your tickets to the live show, 4th of April, Smock Alley Theatre. Tickets available uh, on Smock Alley's website. We have links to them all on our socials and on the show notes of this episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 